Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. This week, the official podcast of the National Bank Open from Toronto. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You can follow us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can, and we're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada as well. And Mike, um, Already through onto day three of this tournament. For us, it feels like it's been a long tournament, but there's so much tennis action to come. And uh, we've had some great player access so far, including a top player that you spoke to uh, just the other day. Yeah, we're going to have Russia's Andre Rublev with us today on the podcast, who is a top 10 presence now and a very deserving top 10 presence. I I feel like in the past years, you know, and leading up to the pandemic, you and I spoke a lot about Medvedev. And of course, all the great things he was doing as well, uh, Karen Hatchinov. And Rublev was always like the third wheel in terms of Russia's uh, men's tennis squad. And now that is no longer the case. He's definitely put himself up there and for good reason. So um, I'll look forward to, to sharing that with our listeners later on. And as for the tournament and what we're seeing unfold so far here in Toronto, there's no shortage of excitement, no shortage of drama. We don't have to make anything up or, or try and you know spruce it up to sound more exciting than it is. Because uh, there's a lot going on, and maybe we should start first and foremost with the withdrawal of Rafael Nadal from the tournament with ongoing foot issues. Yeah, big news that dropped uh, yesterday afternoon. This was, for me, it was pretty unexpected because we know Nadal, he made the trip over to Toronto. We, we heard him for the pre-tournament press conference. We know he was uh, in practices um, getting ready for what would have been an opening round match uh, today with uh, South African Lloyd Harris. That would have been a rematch of last week at City Open. Um, last week in Washington, he played a really long, grueling three-setter to open there against Jack Sock and you could see him visibly limping around the court in that final set and uh, spoke about his left foot being a problem. This is an injury that's actually been a problem for him since 2005, but he's always, you know, carefully managed it. And uh, clearly something happened over the course of the last few months because post French open, of course, him and Djokovic played a marathon um, four-set match in that semifinal, like unbelievable tennis. But that was at the tail end of such a long clay court season that uh, Nadal, I guess, physically, he was unable to compete at Wimbledon, unable to compete at the Tokyo Olympics. He says he didn't pick up a racket for 21 days. Um, and now just that the pain is persisting. Um, he, he essentially said he could go out and play, but he certainly couldn't go out and play and enjoy it. And he would just be kind of struggling through pain. So certainly you have to raise some alarm bells right now. I think for Rafa fans of what are his chances um, to even compete at the U S open, let alone be a contender because he only managed two matches in Washington and, and has to pull out before this tournament even starts for him. Yeah. It's very concerning for Nadal because he did take that time away from the tennis court to heal up, to rest up, missing two huge events. Uh, And still, it looks like there hasn't been any progress or perhaps even taken a step backwards, you could say. Uh, He did not give off any confident vibes in D.C. I was fully expecting he was going to pull the plug mid-tournament, which he didn't. Um, And he was practicing hard in Toronto yesterday. So he went out there and definitely gave it an effort on the practice courts to try and put himself in a position where he could compete, but ultimately decided... Um, wasn't able to do that. And what we're seeing here, aside from the asterisks next to Nadal and the question marks moving forward, we're seeing sort of question marks with all of the big three, with Federer already having pulled out of Cincinnati, 
Djokovic following suit and, and also pulling out. Um, how many of these guys are we going to see at the U.S. Open? And for here in Canada, this is remarkable. This is the first time now since 2001 that we haven't had any of the big three competing in Canada's biggest event in either Montreal or Toronto. So 20 years that we've had at least one of them, more often two or, or even three. And this is giving such an opportunity to the rest of the tour who would have been in the mix regardless the way they're playing, you know, the CC passes, Medvedevs, and of course our two Canadians who we'll talk about shortly. But I think what we're seeing here is this is the transition. It has started, it's in full flight. Uh, and unfortunately it's um, partly induced because of the injuries that the aging big three are starting to have with more regularity. Yeah, yeah, that that's the unfortunate reality for the big three, at least you have to wonder, it's a fair question to wonder, is Roger Federer going to play the US Open? Is Rafael Nadal going to play the US Open? I will say Novak Djokovic, who pulled out uh, here and pulled out of Cincinnati, he seemed to indicate on Twitter, he was taking the time to rest and recover and then will return for the US Open. That's that was his messaging. So I it sounds like he's certainly going to going going to attempt it. Pardon me. Um, but look, yeah, they're, they're not here. I will say this is a wide open tournament. I still felt like it was a pretty open tournament, even with Nadal here, though he is a five time champion. But we had already been talking about his physical issues. He looked like a more vulnerable, vulnerable player. But this is such a wide open field. Um, Stefano Tsitsipas and Omedvedev, they might be highest on the pecking order, but I wouldn't be surprised to see any other young gun win this event. It almost feels like a WTA event in that sense, which, you know, hasn't had that vibe in quite some time where mm-hmm. one of 10 plus players could win this tournament and it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Uh, let's look at a couple of them who played their opening uh, National Bank Open matches on Tuesday. Daytime was uh, number one seed Daniil Medvedev. And in the evening session, and you got to see this one, Stefano Sisipas, who loves playing in Toronto. And to sort of touch on what we've just been speaking about, Pass called the opportunity without the big three as definitely a changing an opportunity for his generation. And he called it a change of thrones, which I think was a catchy tagline that mm-hmm. the ATP might want to look into uh, as the big three eventually do uh, move on and retire one day. Uh, he seems like he's ready for his moment. You caught his match last night. Uh, what did you notice from him? Yeah, look, last night's match uh, has been the most electric night session we've had so far in Toronto uh, against Ugo Umbert. And it was a fascinating matchup because Tsitsipas was going into this one 0-2 in their head-to-head. And it just recently lost to Umbert in Tokyo. He lost to Ugo Umbert last year at the Paris Masters in a three-set thriller. And Tsitsipas, he was mostly in control of this match, had the first set 6-3, had an early break in the second, but Umber was staying upbeat the whole time. He had a positive attitude the whole time, a lot of allays um, throughout, and he just shifted the crowd in his favor. He had a couple electric passing shots, one off an overhead that he stretched and hit a backhand winner down the line. The crowd went crazy, and he was pumping his chest and, and forced this unbelievable tie break, which was 23 minutes, 28 points, 15-13 that Umber pulls out uh, and saves five match points in the process. So that was absolutely thrilling. Um, here's where I give most credit to Tsitsipas, though. You know, you feel like you have all the momentum taken away from you. It's a match you're in control of, up a set, up a break, have match points to win it. He just flipped the switch in that third set. He completely took over. 
um, Umber just looked a little listless and and didn't really have any opportunities whatsoever. Tsitsipas playing his best tennis at the right time. Um, and 6-1 in the third was was fantastic. So really good job just closing it out. That's what top players do when you're in a tough situation. So to win that final set 6-1, I was, I was very impressed, to be honest. That second point tiebreak uh, was nothing like the one you and I saw the night before between Kyrgios and Opelka then in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In terms of length and, and excitement. Although the, the Kyrgios one did have some drama with that uh, foot touch in the net claim. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll move on from that. Uh, as for Pass. Boy, I think back to 2018 and just how amazing his run was in Toronto was really his coming out party on the ATP tour where he beat four top 10 players in that run to the finals against Nadal. He beat Dominic Thiem, uh, of course, Novak Djokovic, Alexander Zverev and Kevin Anderson, who was in the top 10 at that point in time. He was so young back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was only 18, just about to turn 19. And he's really delivered on that promise. That wasn't a flash in the plan. Look at what he's a flash in the pan. Sorry. Yep. He's really delivered on that potential in terms of how he's morphed into a top level player. And again, when I spoke to him in press last night, just realizing from him that confidence and that desire, he said, we want to have the success that Federer, Djokovic and Nadal have had. Yeah, look, he's he's such a hungry and focused player. And um, I think he's also thrilled to be back in Toronto. When he first uh, came here in 2018, he was not aware of the uh, Greek population of this city and was overwhelmed by the support he got from a fan base. And, and the Greeks were there last night rooting him on. We had the flags out and about. Um, so he loves playing it here. Um, he has such great memories of 2018. And this was a huge opening match for him to get through because it was such a difficult draw. It's a guy you've faced twice and lost to twice. I'm sure that was in the back of his mind. So for him to advance um, and, and kind of make his way through the draw, he's definitely a contender to win this. Another contender we should talk about, the number one seed, Daniil Medvedev. Um, Alexander Bublik, his opening match, another tough one. And I think that's the case with Masters 1000s. So you just get tough tough matchups and this was not a routine one for him either dropped the first set there was a rain delay in the second and coming out of that Medvedev was much much stronger and wrapped it up in three sets we also had this bizarre highlight reel that uh, Medvedev joked was going to be on tennis tv and it certainly was and it was um, on tennis tv and you got to see it to believe it wasn't it crazy it was it just, was I couldn't yeah, it was it was bizarre. So they had a little exchange at the net in this rally and Medvedev is going to, you know, smash away the ball. He smashes it directly at Bublik. Um, Bublik somehow deflects it back in the court. But just um, Medvedev's natural instinct. And I could see this happening. You smash a ball accidentally, basically at a guy's head. You say, sorry, You're like, oh, sorry. So he says it in the instinct of the point, not expecting Bublik to somehow get this ball back. So the ball returns in play. The ball ball returns in play. Yep. And then Medvedev finishes it with another overhead. But because he said, sorry, midpoint, the chair ump calls him for a hindrance and hands the point to Bublik. Even though the ball was coming back to Medvedev to hit. So if anything, he hindered himself. Right. And, and Bublik, I mean, he was stunned. He went down pretty hard. I couldn't believe he somehow managed to protect <laughs> yeah. himself and, and deflect the ball back over the net. But there was certainly no hindrance to him. I mean, both players were laughing afterwards. Even yeah. Bublik couldn't believe it because he was out of that point. There was no way he was coming back anyways. And, uh, I mean, Medvedev has that testy side to him. So 
not surprised that he started mixing it up with the the umpire, not in a you know curious kind of a way. I mean, he had a half smile on his face throughout the right. whole thing. I I hope there's no further you know fine or punishment coming his way. But they did provide a moment for Tennis TV. That was a good plug for them, some free advertising right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And an unbelievable rally, to be honest. But I think hindrance was the wrong call. You call hindrance when someone speaks out in a point and it hinders the other player. I don't think his apology in any way hindered Bublik, who somehow used his racket as a shield and got this ball back. Um, we'll jump over to uh, Wednesday's order of play because uh, things are going to get at, uh, get going in Toronto around 11 o'clock this morning. And Felix Ojealiasim, he'll be leading the daytime session, uh, taking on Serbian, uh, Serbian Dusan Lajevic. And I want to say this is quite a manageable opening round match uh, for him. Lajevic, I would say more of a threat on clay, but... The head-to-head is 1-0 for Dusan, which was a match at the ATP Cup last year in 2020. Yeah, that match back in 2020 at the start of the year, Felix was not feeling it at that international tournament. That was the first time the ATP Cup ever happened, and he was just not in his groove. So I don't want to put too much stock in that. But with Felix, that's kind of what it's been these days. Either he's been underwhelming or he's been on fire as he was during the grass court swing. So which Felix are we going to see? Um, you know, hopefully for Canadian fans who are coming out on, on Wednesday, coming out today, uh, it, it's the one who's so capable of, you know, eventually reaching the top 10. He's not that far off already. And what a day of action here in Toronto for Canadian tennis fans. You got Felix in the daytime session, Denis Shapovalov at night. And that kind of, to me, is indicative of a little bit of their personalities with Dennis, the flashier of the two for the nighttime session and, and Felix a little bit more steady or so we're hoping he will be against Lajevic um, and for Chapo he's going up against lucky loser Francis Tiafo who made his way into the draw um, uh, last minute Chapo leads that one four to one including the past four straight so that bodes well for Dennis hopefully tonight yeah and I spoke with uh, Francis and press uh, yesterday and, and Shapovalov has kind of flipped and controlled that head-to-head and uh, Tiafo kind of openly talked about their great uh, relationship off the court said Dennis is one of his best friends on the tour, thinks he'll be a, a friend for life, that, uh, you know, they go for dinners together in non-pandemic settings, they FaceTime, they text all the time, so they're really, really good buddies, they get along great. That sounds and- like you and me, Ben. <laughs> oh, no, we have no contact apart from this uh, <laughs> this Zoom. I'm just joking. But um, Tiafo also talked about Dennis's ability. When when Dennis is in the zone, he said he can really take the racket out of your hands. So that's a, that's kind of the big challenge facing him. And, um, yeah, the big American also talked about uh, getting the lucky loser. He said he'd almost accepted losing in qualifying when he lost that second qualifying match. He says his girlfriend actually lives in the Toronto area. He said, okay, it's not a big deal. I lost in qualifying. Like we can, we can hang out now. It's, it's fine. I, I played some tennis, no big deal. Then suddenly he gets the call and the next day. Oh, wow. I am in the draw. So he kind of had to totally refocus mentally. And now he is happy, uh, of course, to get that break and it, get to play worked. a night I session. Mean, he, he won his first round match. So clearly his uh, relaxed uh, mentality was working for him. Also in terms of lucky losers, got to say Feliciano Lopez, how long was he going to stick around Toronto hoping that someone pulled out? I mean, for <laughs> Rafa to decide on the Tuesday, he wasn't going to play. Oh, and here's your Spanish buddy, uh, Feliciano, that'll take your spot. I, I wonder if there was something in the works there where Nadal said, hey, look, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. Right. I, I think you should stick around uh, if you're the next one in. 
Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I was joking with a couple of friends of like, well, it's it's not a big deal. You don't get to see Rafael Nadal. They got another Spanish lefty. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> An even older Spanish uh, lefty, in fact. That, that's uh, yeah. right. Uh, so, uh, hey, yeah. Another Go. young gun uh, that we got to talk about, and this will lead into our interview, is, is Andre Rublev. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, the Russian contingency. I mean, if we're excited about what Canada has in the top 25 with three guys, including... Milos Raonic, who's not here, unfortunately, due to injury. How do you think the Russians feel? They've got four because you've got Karatsev in there as well, uh, aside from the three players we've already mentioned. The Russians are stacked. I asked Andre Rublev specifically about, does he think a Canada-Russian rivalry is developing? Uh, I'll let you guys listen in and, and see what he had to say, and then, Ben, we can chat some more about what this guy brings to the table on the ATP Tour. Here's my chat with Andre Rublev. Happy to be joined now by Andre Rublev, or should I say Olympic gold medalist Andre Rublev. <laughs> Congratulations on Thank the you. achievement. And what does that mean for you, that mixed doubles gold medal? Uh, I mean, when, when you're playing, you don't really feel it. But then when you understand that a gold medal is a gold medal and uh, that... Uh, Suddenly, I become Olympic champion. It's unreal, and uh, to bring a gold medal for a country is something that uh, you cannot even dream, you know, about it. And uh, and it's like I said in Tokyo, is something that uh, even uh, because Olympic Games is something special that uh, even when I was a kid, and I didn't even know what it is sport, any other sports, you know, all the people or family. They, they are following Olympic and they're watching. So even when I was two or three years old and I was not even understanding, I still already knew that there is something Olympic Games that everyone is following, you know. And then when you become a bit older, you start to understand that there is a Winter Olympic Games, there is a Summer Olympic Games. So and then, you, you, then you're growing and you understand that it's something special for any athlete, especially outside of tennis in a like athletic sports and uh, uh, sports like that, that this is something that they're working on all their lives for these moments. And then you start to think that oh, I hope one day maybe I will also be part of the Olympic Games and I will I will try to compete for the medals. And in the end, to bring a gold medal is something that I can be only thankful and uh, yeah, I can be only thankful. Looked like a lot of fun playing mixed doubles with Nastya Pavlyuchenkova, who's got such a great spirit, a great attitude. Are you able to have a little bit more fun in that type of competition? I mean, uh, fun, but not fun. I mean, of course, if you look now back and you see all the photos and uh, the videos, it was a lot of fun. But in the moment when you're playing there, I was trying to give my best. I was taking... Even if I try to hide it a bit in front of Nastya, but I was taking this really, really serious that it's that uh, something that I need to give everything. I need to, I don't know, just yeah, to give all myself for this match. I don't know, for next match, if in case if we win, you know, even if I was trying to hide it in front of Nastya to don't give her extra pressure. Both Canada and Russia have really emerged as deep tennis nations. Uh, there's four Russian men in the top 25. We've got three here in Canada, of course, with Dennis, Felix, and Milos. 
Do you see a rivalry, maybe a good competition that's starting to happen or could happen in the next few years between our two countries, between Davis Cup and the amount of times you'll face each other on the ATP as well? Actually, till you say this now, I was not even thinking about it. But I think already we're having uh, great battles. Even me, I had a couple already great battles against Felix, a couple of great battles against Chapo. I think Karen as well. Even now at Wimbledon, uh, thriller match at uh, five sets to be in semis. So uh, even Davis Cup, yeah, two years ago, Davis Cup, we had thriller match, seven, six in the third. We lost doubles against uh, Dennis and uh, Vasek to be in the final of Davis Cup. So in the end, we already, I think, uh, we already have a good start with. Uh, I I apologize for that match because I know it was so close, wasn't it? Yeah, it was seven. I remember it was seven six in the third final doubles, but it was fun. I mean, both of us deserve to win. We fight good, so nothing to say. This is your third time playing in Canada at this event. Uh, what do you think of our country here in Canada? When when you think of Canada, what do you think of? I really enjoy actually Canada. I've been here a couple of times uh, as a junior. I didn't even actually I didn't see really Toronto, but I saw quite well Montreal, and I I enjoyed there. I heard Toronto is uh, American completely American city opposite of Montreal, so hopefully, I mean this year probably no, but hopefully final next time, I will see really really close and good Toronto as well. And uh, yeah, I don't know since juniors when I was here for the first time I really enjoy Montreal uh, I like it it was really nice beautiful quiet but in the same time it's a big city so not much to say well enjoy your time here despite the bubble and thanks for taking the time today and we hope to see you back again enjoying the city uh, in future years as well thank you so much man thank you and there you have it my talk with Andre Rublev, uh, really cool to speak with him for the first time. Wasn't quite sure what to expect, but he had a great attitude right off the bat. He certainly enjoyed being called uh, and introduced as Olympic gold medalist Andre Rublev. And uh, it's interesting because he went down early in the Olympics in both singles and men's doubles. Fortunately, decided to play the mixed events event with Nastya Pavlichenkova. But he said to me he took it very seriously. Like at that point, once that was it for him, he was totally dialed in and focused on getting that medal. And it meant a lot to him having that, uh, that Olympic medal as well. Yeah, I, I was flashing back to memories, actually, of watching Andre Rublev in Toronto 2018 on a side court, losing a match to Evgeny Donskoy. And, and you think about the trajectory since then. Um, he has come such a long way uh, since since that match and just since three years ago. Um, I, I noticed the talent watching just had the had the explosive forehand at the time. Mentally, he would get very, very frustrated when the errors would creep in. His backhand was breaking down at that time in, in that match. But uh, I, I did. I must say, I, I thought he was really talented. I didn't expect this this soon. And you look at his breakout in 2020, getting five ATP titles. He already has eight titles, and he's only 23 years old, inside the top eight firmly. So he's playing unbelievable tennis. I think he is, well, 
we, we talk about him being like the top ATP 500 player um, and so good on the hard courts. You have to think a Masters 1000 is, is right around the corner for this guy with his talent, especially on the hard courts, um, that he could be kind of a dark horse contender, I think, for the U.S. Open and someone who's contending for those types of slams in the next couple of years. I think so. And look, whoever comes away with this uh, trophy or even making a finalist appearance, that's going to give them such a huge boost heading into the U.S. Open. One of those guys, and Rublev could definitely be among them. He's got an interesting match today against uh, Italy's Fabio Fanini, so uh, quite the character on the ATP Tour. That should be a fun one to watch. I mean, there's a lot of great action going on today in Toronto, and you and I are going to try and catch as much of it in person as we possibly can. Um, you know, I like to bring things back sometimes and make connections between tennis and my other favorite sport of hockey and Canada and Russia had quite a rivalry back in the 1970s and the 1980s. Of course, I think in tennis, um, I don't think it'll be quite as sort of cutthroat, uh, and whatnot and, and cold between the two nations because they do get along as Rublev mentioned, he's played against Dennis and, and Felix several times and, and really likes those guys. But I think there's the potential for something real serious between these two nations. Hopefully we'll see them competing for Davis Cup titles in in years to come as well with all that talent they have. Yeah, yeah, I would love it. And I'm already thinking back to to the five-set battle that, that Dennis and, and Hatchinov had at Wimbledon. That was high-octane, terrific tennis. And one thing I love about this rivalry, if it does exist, I love the way they all play. Um, all these tennis players, you know, I, I think we're we are siding with the Canadians, but I, I love Rublev's game. I love the way uh, Hatchinov attacks the ball as well. Um Mevedev, of course, too. So uh, there's a lot to root for in terms of high quality tennis. We will shift over and check in on Montreal, where Bianca Andreescu was uh, just opening her title defense from 2019, of course, where she won the title in Toronto, but in a way kind of debuting for the fans at IGA Stadium and uh, drew a qualifier in Harriet Dart, who, of course, was coming off a win over Montreal's Leila Fernandez. Routine start to the match for Bianca. She looked like she was in cruise control, had a hiccup, and got it back on course, winning um, 6-1, a 6-3. Uh, so she is across... And, and into the third round, um, Bianca, she, she doesn't like to take the easy route, but she finds a way to get the victory. Why does she have to do this to us? Ben? I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just too much. And let me first say Harriet Dart almost put herself uh, on the hit list here in Canada. I don't think we ever would have yeah. invited her back to the tournament right. if she had beat not only Leila Annie Fernandez, which was an upset, but then Bianca Andreescu, which would have been a huge upset. Uh, and it looked that way as as Dart was up an early break in the third set. There was a, a brief sort of rain delay. Maybe that allowed uh, Bianca to sort of gather her thoughts for a few minutes. I thought, oh, the Canadian tennis gods are finally intervening here. Um, but she mentioned in her post-match on-court interview uh, with Ivanka Osmak for Sports, Sportsnet that, uh, you know, she does it to entertain the crowd. She goes those three sets <laughs> to entertain the crowd, and she said it with a sly smile. But... Deep down, come on, she's got to hope for some straightforward two-set wins here, if possible. Yeah, yeah. It looked it was the same situation actually when she went to Toronto um a couple of couple of years ago. I think all of those matches as she fought through that tournament um were essentially three sets, going three sets with with Kennan, um, just long, long battles, except for the final, of course, where Serena got injured. And then you look at the US Open as well. I have memories of a lot of long three setters there as well where it felt like she's kind of in control of the match 
after the first set she has she's dictating play and something switches in that second um you know some tennis friends and i we call it the first set hangover you play great first set you're in control and you kind of exhale for a moment you you take the foot off the gas for for that brief moment and suddenly your opponent is back in it in the second so i think that's something she has to kind of work on to avoid especially just physically you don't want to get into these long marathon three setters throughout a tournament it's going to wear you down yeah i can't relate to that tennis hangover concept because i never find myself up by a set but uh, be (laughs) be a lovely thing to have for many tennis players i'm i'm sure Hey, I want to say this Montreal crowd, the way uh, the way they adopted Denis Shapovalov years ago in his run in 2017, my goodness, they're going to love Bianca Andreescu. I mean, that Montreal crowd is just so passionate and they love a player that shows their feelings and Bianca is definitely one of those. So I hope she has a good run this week because the Montreal crowd is going to just go nuts for it. Uh, also, we should mention that's a first win for her with her new coach, Sven Gronfeld. Um, so, uh, you know, nice for him to start with a win. I'm sure he was getting a little nervous too in that second set. Like, oh my goodness, what have I signed up for here? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's going to have to get used to it, but yeah, it's, it's an opening round win for Bianca. Just looking ahead for a moment to, uh, action on Wednesday, I should say Carol Shaw did lose her opening round match to a Sarah Cerebes Tormo, obviously a tough draw there, but, uh, Wednesday's action today's action, Rebecca Marino coming off that incredible win over Madison keys. Uh, she'll face. Uh, Spain's Paula Bedosa, which I think is a pretty intriguing matchup, very different style of play. Bedosa has had such a breakout season herself. I kind of viewed her as just only a clay court specialist, which, um, you know, shame on me because she's played great everywhere. Um, she's her, her game has transitioned to hard court. She had a good grass court campaign as well, and she has just shot up the ranking. So this is going to be another stern challenge for Rebecca Marino. She's going to have to dictate play with the, the big serve and the forehand combination, which, of course, we saw against Madison Keys, but a much different matchup here. And, and that's going to be the day session. Um, I'm curious to see how that one goes. And then night session, we get a Canadian favorite um, who's won, of course, two times, Simona Halep against Danielle Collins. Um, feisty, hard-hitting American. I think that's another great, great matchup. That is not going to be an easy return to tennis for Simona Halep, unfortunately, especially with the way that Collins has been playing lately. Um, You know, on the positive side for Halep, it's going to feel like all of Romania is there with her because, excuse me, Montreal has a huge Romanian contingency. Uh, Simona Halep has not lost a match in Montreal since 2012. And that was a withdrawal, wow. a retirement against Sam Stozer. She's won the event the last two times she's played it. So if there's anywhere to help her get back into her groove, it's got to be there in Montreal. But that should be a tough one. I wouldn't be surprised if that went three sets. Uh, Marino, as you mentioned, got to dictate points. Bedos is a tough opponent to come up against. But the way Marino's playing, uh, I put this one almost even, which most people would think, oh, you guys are crazy if you look at just the rankings. But that's how high we are on Rebecca Marino. There's also a little bit of Canadian doubles action happening in Montreal. If you're into that, Marino's going to team up later in the day with Leila Annie Fernandez together. Uh, and those two get along quite well, having played together at Billie Jean Cup in the past. Uh, and Carol Zhao is back out there in doubles, too, with the uh, youngster Melody Coyard. So um, lots of Canadian action happening in Montreal as well. As you mentioned, Simona Halep in action, Arena Sabalenka in action, Alina Svitolina, bronze medalist at the Olympics, also in action. Boy, today is just a fantastic uh, uh, day of tennis, both in Toronto and Montreal. 
Yeah, amazing lineup. Coco Goff as well will be debuting in Montreal, a uh, 15th seed. Um, we will wrap it there. Uh, thanks so much to Andre Rublev, who uh, shared his time with you. Uh, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of the National Bank Open. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>